I could come up with a list of things that I'm not too proud about. You know, as a parent, Mm -hmm. we've all got those moments where it didn't go well. I knew that I didn't confront some things, you know, what they would label codependency or whatever. Through recovery, through 12-step work, I really had to get down and deal with the guilt and the shame of uh, thinking that I was responsible. Speaking as a type one, you have to do things perfect. I, I would say I struggle with perfectionism. Um, I am going to cry right here. Hey, folks, thanks for joining us on this episode of How's That Working For You? be a little bit different today uh over the last six months since we've been doing the podcast uh, some of the listeners are asking about uh we keep getting these references often when we have interviews of people mentioning the addiction prevention coalition and mentioning somebody named carrie and it seems to come up a lot so listeners are saying who is this carrie and what is the apc so i'm a little slow but i finally figured out you know i could probably have carrie on and she could talk about the Addiction Prevention Coalition. So today we have in the studio my wife, Miss Carrie Wimberly. Carrie, hello. Hey, how are you? I, I was going to say thanks for having me on the show, but you had to force me on. So yeah, that would be disingenuous. Yeah, because you really don't like kind of being on stage, do you? I don't really. You don't want to be the center of anything, right? I don't. Yeah. So we'll talk about that because uh, my wife, Carrie, identifies as an Enneatype 1, and she also has a dominant instinct of self-preservation, so that's a different type of 1, whereas I'm, as most of y'all know, a Type 7 and a Sexual 7, so we've got a lot going on there that we can kind of talk about today in terms of what that might mean to a relationship. But I want to use the fact that you don't particularly like being on stage to go back a few years because about four and a half years ago, you kept saying something to me. A part of our life, uh, a season of our life was ending, a big, big ending. Uh, wasn't particularly, um, it was a little painful. Uh, wasn't particularly, at the time, we didn't think it was good. But you kept saying that you felt like that everything that you and I had gone through, either individually or as a couple or as parents or grandparents uh, in recovery, uh, needed to be on a bigger stage. Do you remember that? I do. What do you think was going on? What what were you thinking about? Because I know you well enough, you just said you didn't mean you wanted to be on a bigger stage. Right. Right. So what do you think was going on there? Um, I, you know, it's interesting because... I guess as I have gotten older, I have come to respect that I have some sort of intuition that pops in from time to time Mm -hmm. that I don't really, uh, I'm not in control of. Um, It's not always accurate, but it it is many times. So I think um, we were doing um, Christian recovery ministry um, at the church that we were at, and um you know it was it was going well but I mean it was a it was a tremendous amount of work you know for you and I um work that we loved and that um we wanted to do but um I guess over time um the frustration of hosting that and you know there we did have a pretty good 
group of people, but it didn't seem to be growing. And I knew that it was such a need, you know, in people's lives. It certainly had been so impactful in my own. So I think as that season closed, um, it was an intuition thing. And I think it just came out. I think we were drinking coffee one morning or something. Mm -hmm. And I just said, you know, something tells me that there's a bigger stage out there for some reason. So yep. it was it was an intuition thing. Yeah, and I think that would be relatively typical for type 1s or body types, gut types. And uh, when they pay attention, they usually are instinctive about things. And that's happened a number of times over our relationship. So to give folks some background, we're approaching our 30th wedding anniversary this year. That's crazy. It is crazy. We, we dated for about two years prior. We both had been married before both had children. And by the time that we made that crazy decision to actually get married, right, uh, I, I, Carol, she's going to kill me for this, but my oh, famous no. line from Groucho Marx is, I would never join any club that would have me as a member, right? right. And that was the way I referred to us. Why in the world would we join together? Crazy. And so we dated for two years, made the decision, got married, combined families, uh, five children <laughs> in various stages. And uh, things went pretty well for about the first uh, eight or nine or ten years, right? Yep. I mean, it was hard. Remarkably well, really. Yeah. You worked really hard as a type one to do things right, to lay the foundation in place for all of our children and for the for the marriage and the home. Well, and it was, um, I can remember, um, you know, I've got what they call generalized anxiety disorder. So I would have seasons, periods of panic attacks that I really couldn't put my finger on a lot of times. Um, but, you know, I remember right after, do you remember this? Right after we got married, um, I went through a really big season of panic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, looking back now, I can see that it was, I mean, you know, I think, you know, our youngest son, Jared, was three Four when we got married. Four when mm-hmm. we got married. So entering into our family and having all these older children that I hadn't gone through the stages of mm-hmm. mothering those children at those ages. So it was um, a huge, you know, ramp up of knowledge and information. And, of course, I didn't know this about myself at the time, but it's like I have to do this well. You know, I have to do this Just right. almost perfect because, um, you know, I knew, I mean, there is trauma for children coming out of divorce. So I knew that our children were impacted by, you know, what had happened before, and I wanted to do everything I could to give them a place that's safe and that they could land and that, you know, they could heal um, from that, but wow, that was, that was a tremendous change. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. I think now you can look back 30 years ago and see that as a, as a type one, you, you really were internally trying to do it just right perfectly. And the idea, if you don't get it right, somebody, all hell's going to break loose. Yeah. Or somebody's going to be really hurt and or damaged or, and it's my fault. Right, you know, you're responsible. Over responsible. Overly, yeah. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know any of that at the time, but yeah, that was certainly playing into it. Yeah, and so you made this crazy decision to me. see back then. If you'd have known I was a seven, you'd have run quickly. I right? should, yeah. And should you have. actually had some intuition yeah, about there that. There was, didn't you? there were red flags. Yeah. <laughs> 
And I was so charming, you just ignored yeah. all of them. You were charming. Yeah. <laughs> First date, I tell everybody the story, right? Five minutes, people introduced us, you know, blind date. Blind date, yeah. yeah. Five minutes of small talk, and I said, okay, enough small talk, Alabama or Auburn. Yep. Right? Right. And what did you say? I said, well, I can't, I can't really say that I'm an Alabama fan, um, per se, but I really hate Auburn. And I said, well, I can work with that. <laughs> And the rest is history, right? Yeah. Oh, yep, that's true. That's yeah. a true story. Yeah, true story. All right, so um, we it was hard those first 10 years. You worked really hard. I don't know how hard I worked. I think I was kind of there. And, but you um, were working really hard in your career at that yeah. time. Yeah, and, and um, I think we had a lot that we had to overcome because we had a lot of outside interference going on with the kids and there was a lot of moving parts, but, uh, you had worked really hard to establish a, you know, a household with some, some norms and things like that. But you were in your career too, as a project manager with Bell South AT&T and, um, you were trying to transition into a less of a full time while I was building a business. Um, and so things were hard, but they were good. But then about 10 years in, some things started to happen to start to crack things apart. What yeah. do you remember as the first thing for you? Um, so you're talking about the substance use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I would say at the very beginning, it was our eldest son. You know, we started uh, having instances of, you know, at the time, what I thought was sort of normal Teenage. Dabbling. Yeah. You know. Senior in high school. Yeah. Um, That's probably when he was a junior. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but then, you know, started trying to control that, you know, the punishments and the groundings and taking away the vehicles and the whatever. But then um, it got, it started getting scary pretty fast. Um, in that we realized or we started to see that everything that we were doing did not seem to be having any impact on right. stopping the use. Yeah. Um, and, you know, then the uh, friend group changed, mm-hmm. and that was a- alarming. So I can remember, um, you know, having a panic attack wherein we were, I don't know what the punishment was, but, it, you know, it was the moment where I was like, okay, you know what? We really can't control him, you know. I think it was actually a Saturday morning. I remember we were working out in the yard trying to get him up, you know, to, mm-hmm. to cut the grass or whatever. He would not get out of bed. And it occurred to me, you know what? He could wake up on Monday and say he's not going to school. You know, yeah. and we can't make it. Felt really out of control to you. Yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. when. For me as a seven, I was like, I had to work out. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's pretty much the way it went for our marriage, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, when Matt, our, my oldest son, uh, so we get through the senior year, things seem to kind of balance out a little bit. But uh, really underneath, there was things going on we weren't aware of. And he goes off to college and pretty soon things go off the rail. We begin, even though he's, you know, miles away from us, we begin to notice something's not right. We couldn't put our finger on it, but, uh, eventually just at the end of that first semester, uh, 
just getting in front of him, which was difficult to do. He avoided yeah. us so much, but yeah. uh, he kind of had to make an appearance at Christmas break. Right. And uh, we confronted him. He denied it. That right. We didn't know what was going on. Right. But the truth was, by that time, he was already putting a needle in his arm. Right. Yeah. And it was heroin. It, it progressed so quickly once he got out of the home onto a college campus. And so uh, we're facing the decision of what to do. Um, he eventually just walked out the door when we put the restrictions on him. And right. uh, that started an odyssey that was going to end up going on for way more than a decade. right? Yep. And it, within a few months, we realized the next son down was struggling as a senior in high school. Yep. And it was pretty significant there too, right? Yep. So. Yep. And, you know, um, trying to get a handle on that. Once we, okay, we're in, you know, we're in trouble here with when Matt, was off, you know, left, and then Grant started struggling, um, trying to figure out what's going on and getting, you know, signals that there's some heavy use there. Then it felt like, you know, it was spiraling. Mm-hmm. And so um, we did like most folks, I would assume, parents, you start looking for help, we counseling, and um, a lot of the, some of the counselors would recommend that we go to a support group and. You know, in Birmingham, you know, 20-something years ago, probably about the only thing there was, maybe not the only thing, but the thing that was easiest to find was to go to an Al-Anon 12-step group. So we started going to those. Now, I got to admit to the folks out there that the only reason I really went was because you're a rule follower, and if the counselor said you ought to go to a group, we ought to go to a group, right? Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we were there, and we started going. Um, And something happened for you that first few months go into those groups and listening to them working through the steps and asking questions and then sharing in that group format, yep. something started take an awareness came upon you. Can you describe a little bit about Yeah, And you know, it's almost like, um, that's almost like one of those intuition things again, because, you know, if you looked at what the group, you know, what was being discussed there, I mean, it didn't seem earth shattering, mm-hmm. but it was like, almost a you know cosmic shift or something when I sat in that circle a couple of times um, and they were talking and I was listening I mean it was really it was a physical it was a gut experience you know um, but it really had to do with my father was uh, a functioning alcoholic um, and something I had kind of been aware of kind of figured it out while I was in college but never really uh, considered that that growing up with, you know, someone that had a substance use disorder in the home actually affects the children developmentally and emotionally. emotionally. Yes. So as they shared and talked, I'm like, oh, my gosh, okay, yes, our sons are really struggling and we need to do whatever we can to help them, but there's work that's got to be that I have to do. It's not all about them. It's also about me. Um, and I've got a lot of unresolved stuff, and I have been contributing to the dysfunction in our family mm-hmm. um, because of my, you know, emotional unhealthiness, uh, you know, and some of that was a, a result of the family of origin that I grew up in. Yeah. So I'm like, wow, 
we need we got to get some things done here. Yeah, and to be clear for those that are listening, especially and a lot of you folks have been to Al-Anon, maybe in twelve step work. The idea with Al-Anon is you you didn't cause it, you're not going to control it, and you can't cure it when you're speaking of a loved one substance use disorder. And so it's important for us to say that the revelation Carrie was getting at the time doing the 12 step work and just listening in the groups was not coming back to judge or condemn that you caused our son's substance use disorder, but the revelation that, okay, there's a lot of work I've got to do because even if I didn't cause it, there's a lot of work still for me to look at myself in this to see how I go forward. How am I now going to contribute to the family dynamics? Does that make sense? It does. But I do want to say right here for anybody that, might find yourself in this situation this is something um you know we do parents of addicted loved ones group even today and um this is something we talk about a lot and it was certainly present um for me and can't i can still get there like i'm i'm a little teary right now mm-hmm. but um because we we some of us do think we did cause it well i mean yeah. you know if you if you um are you know pushed into a corner you know i could come up with a list of things that I'm not too proud about, you know, as a parent, Mm -hmm. we've all got those moments where it didn't go well and I didn't handle it well. Or, you know, I can look back, you know, with Matt and, you know, when, when things were, um, in trouble, when he was in trouble, which I didn't know how much trouble he was in, but, you know, I really, um, enabled him. I, you know, I did things for him. I didn't want him to suffer the consequences of his actions because I, I knew that he didn't realize you know, what those consequences might look like. He was a senior in high school, you know. So I knew that I didn't confront some things, you know, what they would label codependency or whatever. But um, I really, over time, you know, we'll talk about this later, but through recovery, through 12-step work, um, I really had to get down and deal with um, the guilt and the shame of, uh, thinking that I was responsible, you know? mm-hmm. and I mean, certainly um, speaking as a type one, you have to do things perfect. I, I would say I struggle with perfectionism. Um, I am going to cry right here. Mm. Me too. I knew this was going to be an emotional uh, podcast. I knew it was too, and I was like, I was driving over here, and I was like, oh crap, I'm going to end up crying. Mm. Um, but you know, there is. I mean, I still carry a level of uh of guilt over the you know my first marriage failing and what that did you know to jared so i have to you know i had to deal with that um within in the recovery period as a family because that was having an impact on um you know how i parented Mm -hmm. the children and um you know, one of the things we talk about in PAL and Parents Protected Loved Ones is you have to, um, you know, really begin to treat your loved one that's struggling as an adult, you know, when they are an adult, not seeing them as a child, even though their behavior is childish. Yeah. Um, and so I, I knew all of those things were wrapped into that guilt and shame that I was carrying from lots of different things as a parent, you know. Um, and if I didn't confront those, I wasn't going to get better. Right. Yeah. Sorry. No, beautiful. <laughs> um, yeah. Tearing up myself. There's a lot going back. Uh, 
a lot of threads running through those 32 years that we've been together. Still going on, still a work in progress. So um, we hit that crucial point, and I would say it was about, um, honestly, it was really about two years into the struggles of both the sons. Um, they were both out there. At times, we didn't know if they were alive, uh, you know, sometimes missing for a while. Yeah. Even if we knew they were, they weren't in good shape. Yeah. Um, I remember there came a point where I was able to do what I would call a soft intervention in a way. I was able to get in front uh, of Matt and was able to get uh, one of his, one of our other relatives to kind of support instead of fight us, uh, which was crucial. And uh, we were able to kind of walk Matt through that day where we would just say, what's the next step you could take? You don't have to take the last one, just take one. Got him to the doctor, got him to the family doctor. That was as far as he could go. Yeah. And then I remember, uh, and, and here's where I'll cry, but uh, when he came out after interviewing Matt, and for the first time in our life, the word heroin was mentioned. Yeah. And do you remember what happened for you? I mean, I screamed. I mean, hit the floor. Couldn't believe it. I mean, I knew there were some, there was some substance use, but I mean, I, I could not. Yeah. When somebody introduces the word heroin into a family's life about somebody you love, a son, and says, this is the problem, that, that was, I mean, I really had, I had to hold you from hitting the floor, I yeah. think. Yeah. 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 So that was another marker in the journey. Um, and it was about that time that we were uh, we had been working with a counselor, which I recommend to all families in addiction. I cannot yes, overemphasize yeah. this. Nobody grows up, gets married, and has children needing a book of knowledge about substance use disorder. Yeah. And so, when you're encountering it, don't don't take small measures. Uh, so I, I I tell people all the time: look for a good therapist in addiction or family systems or both. And get there as quick as you can because your marriage is going to need it. It threatened us to split us apart. And we had two smaller children at that time. We're still trying to parent, yep. right? Uh, and so we've got all these burners going. And uh, so the idea that we can nurture each other as a marriage was almost out the door. Right? It was out the door for yeah, a, or it was a season. Yeah, yeah. Um, I tell people the the joke about um, us going to counseling, the counseling center, the woman that um, the receptionist. At the counseling center, I mean, we all went, you know, at <laughs> yeah. one time or another. We were yeah. all uh, going there individually and as a family trying to, you know, put things, get things back on the road. Um, but when I would check out or when we would check out, like, she would be talking to us and she would be, it's the old uh, machine where you type in the credit card number. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a long time ago. <laughs> but she would be talking to us. She became a friend. Um, and she would be dialing the number in, but I hadn't handed her my credit card. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. She knows. Have you memorized my credit card? <laughs> <laughs> she said, well, you guys are here a lot. She, I mean, she literally yeah. could type the number into the little machine without me giving her my card. Yeah. So that just tells you how often we were going. Yeah. So there was a point in time where part of the journey, you, you you were really being impacted by being in the 12-step groups. I not so much. I was a little slow. Yes. And I was uh, There's going to reveal some more in a minute about why I was so slow, but uh, I wasn't quite present 
in those. I see it now. Uh, it's very difficult for some types, especially type sevens, that they, they really struggle with being present. And so do you I, want to tell the funny story about the first Al-Anon meeting we went to? About the amends? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, okay. Was that the first one? I don't know. I, it may not have been the first one, but yeah. it was early. I remember at Shepherd of the Hills yep. Lutheran Church. Yep. Yeah, it was. It was after we'd been for a while, and we were trying out different groups. And so that day, that night, uh, the chairman of the meeting was going over. She said, "We're going to do some work in Step Nine. Yep. And Step Nine's basically we made amends to everybody we've harmed and forgiven those we need to forgive. And she introduced a simple question for sharing if you wanted to share, and it was something like this." Is there anybody you hold a grudge against? No names, please. Yeah, or that might hold a grudge. Or might hold you. a grudge against you that you uh, anybody you need to forgive, right? And anybody want to share about that? And it was going around the room, and people were sharing, and it got to me, and I think I said something like, "Well, you know, I, I'm probably sure there's somebody I might hold a grudge, but I'm, I'm not the type that holds grudges, so I don't know who that would be." And and as far as, you know, somebody needing to have a grudge against me, I'm sure there must be, but I can't imagine who it would be. And I got to tell you, folks, I was not lying in the way that what lying means. I did not consciously know what I didn't know. I didn't even know what was going on in me. I was so dark, so angry, so scared, so hopeless at that time for a lot of reasons. I really didn't know what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't intentionally not sharing anything. And I remember out of the corner of my eye, you were sitting next to me. I still remember that your head turned on a swivel and looked at me like, are you crazy? And I thought to myself, that's crosstalk. You're not supposed to do that. And later in the car, you, you really said, are you crazy? Are you crazy? So what, tell us about that. What was well, I mean, going on? at that point, you know, because there was so much chaos going on, I mean, I could think of, you know, five or six people family members and whatever that either you were really angry at or were really angry at you. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have to look far and wide. Yeah. Including you. Yes. Including me. Yeah. Um, and I think I even said that. Yes, you did. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, okay, is this guy so delusional that he cannot realize that? I thought you were just trying to look good. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I did not think. I can do that, too, but yeah. I honestly didn't. It, for me, nothing surfaced. I was so unaware yeah. of myself, so unconscious and so not present, yeah. that it really wasn't me trying to look good or hide. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, move on. Move on. All right, so um, we'll never you, get you got somewhere this. to be? Well, so, I mean, I, I'm, work, I'm yeah. thinking people are going to, like, yeah. get on with it, people. So, um Eventually, in that discussion, you began talking to a therapist about the fact that you were getting some traction with the 12-step work, and you said, you know, this is so good, the church ought to be really good at this. Do you remember that? Yep. And the therapist said, well, wait a minute, you probably ought to talk to the head of the the center because he's just come back from California, and he's been studying with some folks out there with a church, and they do this 12-step work, and they do it within a Christian uh, uh, context. Right. Right, and so, so now stuff was flowing, and I'm again, I'm just along for the ride at this point. I'm just, this is interesting and all, but I'm, I'm really so messed up that I'm just not thinking deeply. 
And I remember, of course, for you, that's a key. When somebody says this is how it works, then you go to work on it. You, there's just no reason you wouldn't. And some somewhere that day or that night, I remember you shrieking from the other room. You'd been doing research on the on the computer, and you're like, "Okay, here it is. I found it. This is what we're going to do." Do you remember that? I do. Yeah. And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" She said, "No, they already do this. The twelve step work is in a uh, Christian context, and they have support groups, and you train, and you do these, and that's what we're going to do." I'm like, what? And so we introduced it to our pastor at the time. He looked at the material and he said, this is some of the best stuff I've ever seen. And you guys ought to do a group. And I said, well, no, I think you got to be trained for it. And you got to do all this other stuff. And you blah, blah, blah. He said, no, I think y'all could do it. And I think that was right after the holidays. And he said, I think you ought to open a group in March. Yep. I'm like, well, what? And you and him were on board. And you're like, of course, it's the next thing we ought to do. And I'm like, well, hey, we probably, let's have some options here, some flexibility, right? And the next thing I know, we're doing a group. Yep. And we announce in the church and in the community that if you have a loved one that's struggling with drug addiction, substance use disorder, alcohol, drugs, anything like that, and you want a place to come and you want to do it from a Christian context, but you want to work 12 steps, this is what we're going to do, yeah, right. And we're and I'm like, who's going to come to this, right? In the church, and the next thing we know, like people are showing up, yeah, right. And I'm like, well, crap, I guess we got to do this, yep. and I'm supposed to be leading it, yes, right. Mm-hmm. And so we're facilitating this little group, and every week people are coming, yeah, and we're working the steps, and we're reading the scriptures, and we have our own journaling work to do in between, yeah. And then you come back in the room, and then you're sharing. And about three or four months into that, we're working the four step, which we've talked about on this podcast before in terms of doing your personal inventory and then admitting things to a sponsor and then beginning to work through whatever forgiveness and amends you need to do. And something happened to me. Mm-hmm. Do you do you remember how it came out that night? Um, I mean, you were leading, but I mean, it's all of a sudden, you know, you stop. And you start getting emotional. Um, and you're like, I've got to talk about something in here. You know, mm-hmm. we've all been sharing um, personally, you know, this is what's going on in our family. This is what's going on with me. But this is, has impacted me. Yeah. And then there was a day that came about one Saturday, I remember. Yeah. Um, started out like any other Saturday. Actually, it looked like a promising day. Yeah. Uh, had one of those days where the kids were going to be involved in some stuff, the younger kids, and we were going to have a time to work together in the yard and then yep. maybe go out on a date. Yep. And all day long, no matter what happened that was good, I kept getting angrier and angrier. Yep. You remember that? I do. Yeah. And it, it was like I was unintentionally, intentionally trying to drive you away yep. from me all day long. Yes. By the time we got to the end of the day, you you were so you couldn't figure out what was going on. You yep. finally just had to retreat yep. into the corner. Yes. I went outside into the dark and sat there. Yep. I think I actually found the pack of cigarettes I hid. Because when, when we decided to get married, you said, I won't marry if you smoke. Correct. Right. So that was one of the things I had to get rid of. Right. So I did, except I hid a pack. So twice a year when something bad would go wrong, I would smoke a cigarette. Yes. Yes. That's how that worked. That's how it worked. And so I took found the cigarettes, went out onto the back porch in the dark. Yes. And sat there. Yep. I don't know how long it was, but there was a point in time when I was out there, it could have been hours, it could have been minutes, I don't know. But there was an awakening that came over me at that moment that I had no control over. Yeah. 
that just said, I, I think it was Holy Spirit, just said, it, it's okay, it's time to tell everything. Yeah. And you're, you're okay. Yeah. You'll be okay. Which I'd never felt that in my entire life. I'd never felt an inner sense of being okay, yeah. acceptable in the plan or anything like that. Yeah. And um, a few minutes later, yeah. the door opened. Yeah. You walked out. You sat down in the dark and you said... Is there something you want to tell me? <laughs> and I swallowed hard and I was like, okay, I guess it is time. It's just so bizarre yeah. when I go in and you go back and think about it. But, I mean, you had been so mean <laughs> that day. all day. So I was like, let him go. When he gets that way, just let him go. Um, but when I was sitting on the couch, it's like, you need to go out there. You need to go out in, there. You need an to go instinctive, out there. a gut. I'm like, I'm not going out there, you know. There's nothing good for me out there, you know, but it was just get up and go out there. Yeah. So. You were almost, it was like you were moved. Yes, like I couldn't say no. Yeah. And when you came, and it, honestly, I tell you, I told you before, if it hadn't been dark, yeah, I don't think I could have said what I had to say. Right, I mean, it was pitch black dark. I couldn't yeah. even see you. Right. Yeah. But when, when you said that, I knew that was a second witness confirming it was time. So I began to unfold for you not only what was going on in terms of tearing me up about the children's addiction, but my own addiction that had been hidden from you and everybody else since I was a little boy, and that was sexual addiction. Right. Uh, and that it, I'd carried into the marriage, unbeknownst yeah. to you. Right. I, w- I was a great hider. Yep. Right? Yeah. I could mask things. Uh, I had long since put away in my 20s and early 30s a struggle with substance, alcohol, pot, uh, cigarettes. Uh, was able to put those away, but the sexual addiction had stayed underneath and had carried into the marriage, and it was now time to go. Right. And that's what happened that night. That was the beginning of what was fixing to happen. Yep. Yeah. That was a lot. It was a lot. But the sense of... And I don't know where this came from for you, but you were able to listen to it. As I said, I don't think I could have said it if it wasn't pitch black dark because yeah. the guilt and the shame was so heavy. Yeah. But there was something about the way you came out and then the way you received it yeah. that I felt like this is say I can do this no matter what the outcome is. Yeah. yeah. And it, you know, um, as we moved into recovery after that as a couple and individually and you know, over the next, I don't know, 15 years, um, you know, working with women in similar situations where their husbands were struggling uh, with sexual addiction and having lots of conversations in that area. Um, I believe the way all that happened for us was a real gift, you know, for me, because it was not that I discovered it, you know, it was that you revealed it. And that really um, gave me the opportunity to handle it and to receive it and to work through it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because it's not it doesn't always happen that way, whether right. it's male or female. Exactly. Often, it's you have to hit a bottom, get caught, yes. some disaster, yep. which makes it a little harder for the spouse or the significant other person yep. to begin the process, yep. right? And, you know, we, you and I talked about this just the other day, um, but the, um, you know, that really did throw me into chaos because um, I didn't know. I mean, I, I didn't suspect it. I, I didn't know. Um, so the fact that we had been <coughs> married that long um, 
and all the, you know. That I have fooled you. Yeah. Went straight to your gut. Oh, right? it's like, oh my gosh. Uh, if I could be fooled about that, what else? Everything is, you know, is a lie. Yeah. Like what? It attacked everything about oh, yeah. you that felt solid, didn't it? Really rattled me to the yeah. core. Um, but another thing that helped us, I think probably saved our marriage, honestly, um, was your um, gift that you gave me at that time was, okay, you know, as you move through this, as we move through this as a couple, you're going to have a thousand questions and things are going to come up. You're going to remember that and you're going to think about that. And you promised me that, you know, it, when when I had questions, when I got afraid, when I wanted to ask something specific, even though the answer to that would be really hard for you to tell me, that you would stop whatever you were doing. You would not shame me in any way or guilt me or try to get me to not ask questions and that you would answer those questions honestly and thoroughly. Um, and that was the most important, I mean, crucial gift um, for me and to heal. And, you know, and I did ask questions, and things did pop in my head in the middle of the night or in the middle of the day, and I would call and mm-hmm. you would stop whatever you were doing, very patiently answer the questions, you know. And, you know, amazingly... I got to where, okay, I don't really need the answers anymore, you know, because I trusted you. You know, I trusted that you were going to tell me if I needed to know, if I wanted to know. And then I was like, I don't really want to know anymore. You know, it doesn't, it really doesn't help for me to. And that was a big step for both of us because I'm like, I want to know everything. I'm, right. You know, that's and, and but, but there was, I don't want people to come away from this thinking there was like a straight up stock market oh, chart gosh, because no. there was a delay really from that. From those early days where there was some relief for you, yes. in a way, yep. uh, but we kept working on it, whether it was in the 12-step groups ourselves yep. or with a therapist, but there was also probably about, what, maybe a year in, there was some delayed anger. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, and we had to go back and work on that, yep. right? Yep. Makes I mean, it was, it was a big process. It yeah. really was, and it was not, it took a long time. Yeah. Um, you know, it took a long time. Uh, before I, I quit checking your pockets, you know, checking mm-hmm. your phone, mm-hmm. checking, Bank checking, checking and, everything, yeah. looking for anything suspicious. And if anything looked, you know, remotely suspicious, you know, having a, just an intense emotional experience, you know, mm-hmm. and really, um, uh, walking through, uh, getting, I don't know, it's, it's, it's almost like, um, the stages of grief. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. the stages that we had to walk through, mm-hmm. um, putting our marriage back together, you know, putting our trust back together, um, but then walking it out. Um, but in the in in the period, like you're saying, I don't. I think it was maybe a year after that. I mean, oh my gosh! You hit a crash. There. I did, and I I was so incredibly angry. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was part of my journey. And you couldn't make that right. You know, I I could ask a thousand things, yell, scream, you know, beat on your chest, which I did a couple of <laughs> but yeah, you, that, hurt, you hurt me a couple But of. that was my journey, and I had to figure out, okay, what is the process that I've got to walk through um, with a counselor? And at that time, I had a sponsor. Yeah, that was big. In fact, we had Cindy on the other That's day. That's right. Yeah. Cindy was yeah. a sponsor, and, you know, we're still really dear friends, but... 
um, she was the person that, you know, as we go through the step work, um, did my, you know, doing my inventory, doing all of that work, you know, she's the one that is, is in the trenches with me and is, uh, not, not forcing me to be different, not pressuring me, but is present with me. Mm-hmm. So that as I work through these things and getting to the place of, you know, there's always, um, and I know I was telling you Brent Bauer was on here and he talked about some of this, but when you're sponsoring somebody or being sponsored, you know, part of all of this work is getting you to the place where there's a spot right there. And that person gets to know you to the point where, in that conversation, they recognize that spot and then they press it mm-hmm. because there's something underneath all these things. You know, it's a it's a belief that's off. It's a fear that is controlling. It's something. Shame, guilt. It's something. Anger, yeah. And they have to push on that tender yeah, spot. It, yeah, I think Brett and I even were both connecting the Hebrew scripture that says the wounds of a friend are faithful and that's what a sponsor does so there's something underneath that's driving a lot of that you know it's Mm -hmm. you know used to say if it's if it's hysterical it's historical yeah so that's a lot of that work was you know digging out what's what's the infrastructure what's underneath there that's driving a lot of that anger and it was at you but it was at other things too yeah. And that was something I had to resolve that you couldn't you couldn't make that. Yeah, we had our journey together, but we each had our individual journey, yeah. uh, which I think is important. When I talk to couples now about that, you've got a journey together, yeah. but you've got an individual journey. To yeah. the, and the extent your journey together will be successful will be how do you do your individual journeys. Yeah. Right? So, um, okay, so we went through that uh, uh, out of the blue. Uh, I mean, transformation is when you – you change at a deep level and you don't have much to do with it, right? right. And that's what happened to me. And right. Actually, it was so weird because, you know, I was the classic addict in a way. Yeah. You were not. Right. You were more the concerned significant other or the codependent or however you want to describe it. Right. But the amazing thing to me was when I watched you was how hard you worked at your own recovery when the world would have said, no, you're the offended person. You don't need to be working on anything. Right. Does that makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. And you set such an example by digging in. I don't know if it's just a type one where this is what you're supposed to do, so you just do it. But you were a great example to me and many other people in those early recovery days of just this is the process, trust the process, and do it. But there were a number of things going on in our life at that time, and some with you, two sons struggling deeply with addiction. I don't mean just dabbling. I mean deep addiction um, uh, should have probably died many times over been in prison uh, in hospitals whatever um my addiction yeah and then your beloved only sister is diagnosed with terminal cancer yeah right yeah your father's cancer yeah and dementia yeah and then your mother yes. is diagnosed with cancer yes all within the same year correct yeah and I think uh, there was a collapsing point for you Yep. in there. Yep. You remember that? I do. And I can't even remember exactly what happened, but... Um, One more piece of bad news. Yeah, something. Yeah. And I, I literally just, I mean, I was in the fetal position on the bathroom floor is all I can... And I mean, it was, 
I, it was uncontrollable. Like, it was just wailing just for, I don't know, an hour until I was just couldn't. I mean, I couldn't even stand up. But I think it was just break. It was just, it was the, okay, nothing is going to make this right. Nothing you do. Nothing I can do. I can't control it. I can't make it perfect. I can't reform it. I can't do it. I've tried, and, and you did. You tried really hard. So I think, you know, when I tell my story, um, I point to that as really the first day, you know, of the rest of my life. Um, kind of like step one. I mean, really, it was for me. I'm, I'm, I'm powerless over this. Yeah. And my life's become unmanageable. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, as a as a type one, you know, it's. I, I mean, short of that, I don't. I don't know how ones, you know, get better <laughs> because we really think we know the answer. We study it. We figure it out. We work it, really hard. We work really hard, and we, you know, we tell you what your next step is and how you should do it. We figure it out for you and for us. And mm-hmm. and um, why can't you people just be like... Why can't you people just do what I tell you to do? Yeah. But um, that was crucial, I think, for me to get to the place of um, humility. Yeah. Uh, brokenness. Brokenness yeah. to... But then hope. Yeah, to say, okay, um, you know, I'm not in control. And so, therefore... Um, where do we go from here? Yeah. And so when I look back, I say, this is, it was so surprising that we were both awakened at about the same time for two different reasons. And when we were awakened, we were already in a recovery community. Right. Because we were actually, had started it and we're leading it, but we had no clue when we started it, what was fixing to happen. Yep. That makes sense. And so we had a process and we had a people. Yep. Right. And such a gift. Yeah. And so um, it just felt like this is this is the rest of our life. Right. It didn't feel like a burden. It just felt like that was kind of a calling for us. And so for many, many years after that, we were involved in the building up or the structure or the leading or the training or the doing of recovery processes in different churches and in different places. Right. All with a 12 step process in the middle of it but also with this sense of idea that nothing eventually is going to have the deepest impact unless it has to do with grace, right? right? And so we, we kept doing that, and that led to uh, a number of different opportunities and things over the years. Uh, we were both working full-time when we started, but then gradually you were able to move away a little bit from that. Uh, that's a whole other story about uh, grandchildren, and uh, we could go on forever about that. But... Um, and then eventually it led back to the point that we began this episode with was that four and a half years ago when one season of our life was anyway to help plan a church, yeah. help nurture it for six or seven years. Uh, within that, one of the threads was the recovery community that we developed there right. as well. And all of that was kind of coming to an end, although there was an offer for us to pick the recovery ministry up. Yeah. And relocated into a larger church, the mother church, yes. that that wanted it, right? And not only wanted it, but actually had a building for us, yes, with state of the art equipment, right, and space, yes, and even had a budget, I know, which we'd never had before. That's crazy, right? 
Yeah. We were making copies out of the back of our truck or whatever. Yeah. And, and it was like, it, gosh, it seems like this is the next iteration of what we're supposed to do. Yes. Right? And we had all but said, yes, we're going to transition. As soon as it ends here, we'll pick it up the next month here. Right. Because that's what our life was supposed to be. Yep. Right. And I woke up in the middle of the night when, which was not unusual. I got to tell folks for a long time, I was up at two o'clock. Yeah. And I, sevens, we think we're super, you know, we just, yep. we transcend all the laws of nature. Yes. We can keep going. Anyway, so I'm down there on the dock. Yep. at the house yep. and up at two and there was this thing stirring in me and by the time you got up i'd come to the conclusion we're not supposed to do this right I don't, it doesn't make sense but we're not supposed to do it right and you came down and said what's going on yeah and i said we're not i don't think we're supposed to do it and you said okay make your argument right yeah <laughs> tell me about plead it your I, case. plead your case i told you, and you at the end you said yeah you're right which is really unusual in our marriage, I got to tell is. you. Yes. Uh, for so many reasons. For so many reasons. That, that yeah. you were right about that I, something. Exactly. Yeah. Or that you yeah. would admit it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because you're usually right. One's yeah, and, right. And you were intuitive. Yeah. What? Where did that come from? It's only happened twice. I know. Yeah. So. Um, Don't get cocky. <laughs> uh, I got to tell you, my wife is the most intriguing person I know. And part of the intrigue is that she's always keeping me guessing. Uh, she, she's yeah, that's, that's what I say all the time. Yeah, uh, she try doesn't to, want me to try get to comfort. keep you guessing. Yeah, and you do. So um, we'd made the decision. We had to tell everybody. Everybody was mad at us. Every, yeah, what? Why are you not? You know, I'm like, you can do it. We'll help you do it, but we're not supposed to do this. Yep. And I didn't know what that meant because I don't like not knowing what I'm. You know, planning plan. Yeah, as a seven, I want to plan into the future. But don't trap me too much with your plan, yeah. right? Yes. And so that opened a big space for both of us. And uh, it eventually led you by a bizarre path yes. to this APC that everybody coming on here talks about, which is the Addiction Prevention Coalition in Birmingham. Yes. So tell us a little about, about what APC is and does. Bring us into the back into the present. So the Addiction Prevention Coalition is um, a nonprofit I used to say it was a small nonprofit. Now they're saying I have to say it's a medium. Because <laughs> we've grown a I lot. I think that's your fault. I've grown a lot in the last mm-hmm. two years. Um, but uh, in Birmingham, coming up on 14 years, um, it was really founded by um, a family that very similar to ours that um, had a son that struggled. And they had a really hard time finding resources for him and for them as a family. So coming out of that as he got better, they're like, hey, you know, if if our family's having that struggle, we know there's other families and we want to help. So really found it as a resource provider, and we still do that today. But um, we've expanded our role, and now what we say is we focus on awareness, prevention, and connection. Um, awareness, we do all kinds of awareness uh, events, but our primary one is the what was the end here when Birmingham Walk. It'll be the sixth year this year. Um, we're actually changing the name to End Addiction Birmingham just to be, um, you know, more inclusive. Um, and it's grown so much. And so to let everybody know, you know, we're all welcome, um, whatever the struggle is. And, and one of the great things about the walk historically has been, yeah, there's, you know, first year, a thousand people, then 2,000 and 3,000. But beyond the numbers is there's people from all walks of life and all angles, people that are in recovery, 
yep. people that need to be in recovery, yes. family members, loved ones that need help. And yes. so you got all those resources there yep. for people. There's connections for people to come and celebrate. Yep. There's connections for people to come and commiserate, especially if they're still going through it or they've lost a loved one. Yes. Uh, so there's a lot of ways that people get educated, connected, and can go forward in this and expand what you're trying to do, which is slow down addiction. Right. right. And I think, you know, going back, really going back to where we talked about, um, you know, as families, when we have children or family members that struggle with substance use, um, you know, the shame of that. Um, And I could talk a long time about this, but, you know, when we were going through it, um, it was a very difficult time, probably more so for me than you, um, because, you know, um, all the friends and the families that were connected to us, you know, then it got to be where they were afraid for their children to be with our children. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's almost as if we lost so much of our community. Yeah. Um, and there's so much shame attached to that. So one unique thing um, that people say when they come to the walk the first time is that, you know, there is no shame there mm-hmm. because I'm going to start crying again. It's a community of people that have experienced um, something very similar that out in the world feels shameful. But you come into that park and you're met with love and acceptance because you're with somebody that knows that has walked in that path. You know, our parents group, you know, when parents walk in there that first night, I think that's what they experience is, oh, my gosh, this room is filled up with people that know my struggle you know they've been there so it's a big part of what we do as an agency is trying to break that stigma because the stigma is what keeps people from getting help yeah right? whether whether it's the person struggling with the substance use disorder or the people that love them from both angles right yeah, yeah. so and then another part uh, a big part of what we do day to day is prevention yeah, yeah, talk about that because Again, now you're down in younger ages, yes, right? Yes, yeah. So um, we love prevention work, and we have um, we have groups in high schools, Birmingham City, Jefferson County, um, where the it's peer led and adult supervised, which means the kids le- lead these groups, and so we raise the children up to learn how to lead. We educate them on drug and alcohol, you know, information, but we let them drive what's talked about. So they come to the table and say, hey, we want to talk about mental health. We want to talk about suicide. We want to talk about depression. We want to talk about sex trafficking. We want to talk about, um, because that's what they're seeing, you know, in their peers. So it's a beautiful um, program. We also do other mental health first aid, teen mental health first aid, youth mental health first aid for um, adults who are working with students. And that that teen mental health first aid is really a program where – we go in and, and teach teenagers in high school to understand what mental health issues are, what mental health looks like, teaching them how to be aware of their own mental health, but even sometimes more importantly to recognize a mental health crisis in their peers. Mm-hmm. And when they see that, what to do, um, which is so important, especially now coming out of the pandemic, um, trying to get back in school. So many of our teens are really struggling with mental health issues and you know we've lost so many to suicide so um we're very passionate about that and excited about it 
And then the other thing is connection. We try to be a connector for people looking for resources for themselves or family members. We also try to be a connector of organizations that are working in this space to be more connected with each other yeah. so that we all have a better sense of who's doing what right. so that we can make that um, path through that for people more seamless right. than it has been. So kind of like a collaboration versus competition, which I think has been a big deal as I've watched you uh, over the last few years, especially over the last year because you became executive director of the organization about a year ago, right? And um, what I've noticed is you guys, and, and certainly others too, are trying to find ways to collaborate with organizations that may be different but have another aspect of what you're doing. Maybe they're better at it or maybe they're in an area that you can't do. But I've noticed you've been really good at connecting people across the state and that's beginning to be more and more of an initiative. Guys, thanks for joining us for this episode. It's one in which I hope we answered the question, who is Carrie and what is the APC? I think we finally broke through the mystery on those things. And I hope uh, from uh, just a, a learning capacity that you got some things that you didn't know before, but also maybe heard some of the process of our own personal story in there as well with addiction within the family, but also the redemption that's coming and um, and maybe even learn a bit about uh, what APC does out in the world. And I hope you'll join us for the second part next week when uh, we're going to talk about women in leadership. Also uh, talk about Enneagram in relationships, especially in marriage and how that plays out and uh, lots of other things. So join us again, won't you?